Good morning, everyone. Um, every time we've been able to share our hearts with people, Amanda says, Justin, you talk too much. So I'm going to turn it over to Amanda, and we're going to talk a little bit about our family's call to England. Um, yeah, so like Miss Deb said, I grew up in this church. I was the first baby born at uh, Smithsburg Valley Church 30-something years ago. Um, <laughs> something. Uh, so it's a great honor to like, come and talk and share about what we feel God has called us to do, and we feel like we are obediently following um, what he has asked our family to do, um, even though it comes with great cost and pain to you know, maybe grandparents who love our family so much. But um, we are sent missionaries from the mission organization from our church denomination. We go to an EFCA church, so similar to Tri-State in Hagerstown. Um, so we are joining a team in London, and we are hoping to go early summer next year. Um, and we kind of got there through a long, slow burn process that was um, God giving each of us an individual desire of, not desire, but like love for British culture and TV and politics and all sorts of things. And we decided that it wasn't coincidental that we both had the same passion for the same group of people. And then as we started looking into, I don't know, what does life in London look like for our family? We, the two of us took a trip in 2019 where we're clearly much younger and more rested in that picture two kids ago um, than we are now. But um, we feel like God wants us to move to London for a myriad of different reasons. And as we looked into it, it became very clear that our family was a perfect fit for the team that's currently in London and all the skill sets that we have that we can add to sharing the gospel in the UK. This is a picture. This is our, the picture of us on our first trip four years ago. And then we came back from a trip in September. This was us leaving our flat in London. Actually, the neighborhood was called Tooting, which is a pretty hilarious uh, neighborhood to live in, but we were staying in Tooting, and Teddy is in the picture, just in, in the womb still. Yeah. He, so Teddy's been to England also, just maybe not with a passport. Yeah, he came and, the month after this. So. Yes, he was born, she was very pregnant, and uh, yeah, God saw us through, and we were able to navigate our way through London with our boys, get on and off the tube, and on and off the buses, and we did leave backpacks behind in a bus on the first day, and you know, all, the, all the, the fun things that come with navigating a city of 9 million people in, in a different country. Uh, but we were there the week that the queen passed away. And that was a really, I'm really glad we were there for it because we were able to observe and learn more about the British people through a tragedy or through something like that. So it was pretty, pretty serendipitous, you know, sort of a, a God is sovereign moment for us to be able to experience that with the British people and to, uh, to see that happen. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the need. When you think about England, you don't really think of a place that needs missionaries, right? We share a common language. We share a somewhat common Western culture. And the United States is actually much more evangelized than the UK. If you look at the screenshot from our Reach London team website, it says this. It says that London needs Jesus. London needs missionaries, and London needs you. With over 8 million people in London not following Jesus, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When you think about uh, Europe, you might think huge cathedrals and gorgeous churches with stained glass windows, a history of what it means, of, of the, the expansion of Christianity. This is where the missionaries used to come from, was Europe. 
and specifically London. This is the town of Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Hudson Taylor, William Carey. These were incredible men of the faith. And this, this is where the first major missionary society, the London Missionary Society, was founded. But now we'll look at a statistic that tells us a little bit more about the, the, what's really happening in the UK. 6% of adults in the United Kingdom identify as practicing Christians. That number is even smaller in the city of London itself. 4%, less than 4% of Londoners claim to know and follow Jesus, to have a personal relationship with him. So the need is great. This is a decidedly post-Christian culture. So we want to go and be a Christian to someone uh, who doesn't know a Christian in their life, doesn't have someone in their life. But we're not going to go alone, and we're going to be joining a team. And I'm going to have Amanda explain the team uh, in the next picture. So um, one of the really cool things about the missions organization that we're going through, there's a lot of accountability and structure. So that way we're not just going to a giant city where there's just six of us and floundering around trying to figure out how to get plugged into ministries. There's um, a team that's already there. There's eight people current. Um, the four in the middle are considered long-term, so they've been there anywhere between five to ten years. Um, and they all have really great ministries throughout the city, whether they're working with Muslim immigrants or a kids' ministry or the guy in the plaid shirt is a worship pastor, and he goes to different churches and trains people how to be a worship pastor. The guy in the blue shirt works with sports ministry, and the guy in the red shirt works with audiovisual. So all these different things that you can do as a missionary in a different city um, we also have really great skill sets that we can add to that. Um, and so Justin's been able to get plugged in with some of the same organizations that these people work with. Um, but they are the most lovely people. They're doing great work. Um, and we get to join them and work alongside them as they um, do ministry in London. Yeah, what's great is, is that we're able to join something that's already taking place. And we can expand efforts already being put in. I am not an entrepreneur. I am not a planter. I'm not someone who can create something out of nothing. But I can come into a situation and hopefully uh, multiply the efforts of the people already there. So we're excited to do that with the Reach London team. Each member of the Reach London team, each couple that's there, uh, they're, all, they're a part of a church that's in a network called Co-Mission. So our team partners with the Co-Mission Network. And it's an enterprising church planning network that God has been growing in London since 2005. These are a solid evangelical churches that love the Lord, preach the gospel each and every week, and tell others about Jesus. And so we're excited to work with Commission with our team members. And how that comes out, well, we don't know what church we'll be serving with yet, but there are a lot of churches and a lot of pastors who are all alone, that have no help, and so I'm able to come in, our family's able to come in and say, hey, pastor, how can we serve and love your church well? How can we come in and support you in any way, shape, or form? I am not a senior pastor. I am not a church planter, but I can come and love and serve under and support one. So I'm excited to be able to do that with a commission church. We wanted to share a video about commission and uh, something that they've put together to, to maybe share a little bit more of the heart of the need for the city of London. It's hard to imagine a perfect city. We're bombarded with stories of war, pandemics, discord, and a polluted planet. We live in a city of nine million people, yet loneliness surrounds us. It's the story of a fallen world, 
lost in the embrace of sin and suffering. Imagine all this without eternal hope. Imagine this without Jesus. London is in need of a better story. A story of salvation and of a renewed creation. A story of a perfect heavenly city. Not a city built by human hands or by human effort, but a city made new by God. We have a hope in eternity that lies beyond this world's clutches. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let heaven sustain your faith and be the hope that you proclaim for London. It's available simply by trusting in Christ. This is the hope London needs. So you see a little picture of um, different churches that are around. And I want to ask Amanda to share a little bit about one of the churches that we visited and um, that 53% number that we've talked about. Yeah, so when we were there, like Justin mentioned, we were there the week, the week the queen died, which was a really unique experience to really see just kind of the raw culture of the country. Um, and we got to go to one of the churches pictured in the video on that Sunday morning. And it was really neat to take ourselves out of like an American church context, which is kind of its own unique thing compared to the rest of the world, um, and really enjoy um, just true, authentic, really good worship with other believers from around the world. And it was a really fun experience to hear them um, minister to children. I got to sit in with the kids program and um, Justin got to sit in with the main one and hear testimonies of how the queen was so influential to the country and they were praying for the king and looking forward to the good things that were coming. Um, but like Justin mentioned, um, 53% feels like a, a funny number, right? But 53% is the number of people who even know a practicing Christian in the United Kingdom which feels very low, right? Because if you are here in Smithsburg, chances are, if you weren't in a church context, you would know a Christian somewhere, right? Not there. It's, you know, you could be in a room full of people and only half of them might even know a Christian. So when we go, our goal is to just be a Christian in the community. And so for that, it looks like a couple of different things. Justin will be working with a couple organizations. We'll be plugged in with a local church and I'll get the opportunity to just live amongst people in my community, whether that's walking my kids to school or meeting up with families after or going on playdates or whatever. So that's the ministry that I get to do and just live amongst people as a Christian. Yeah, one of the facets, we talked a little bit about the partnership we'll have with a church network called Co-Mission. The other side of the coin for me is sports ministry. If, uh, if you know me at all, and many, many of you do, I'm absolutely sport mad. I love every sport that ever existed except for lacrosse. I just can't get behind it. But uh, I do love sports, and what I'm so excited to do is to become a sports chaplain. And there's going to be a picture here. Uh, I'll be joining with our team leader, Matt, the Sports Chaplaincy UK organization. If you look here, he's in the black shirt. 
kneeling and praying with the guys on his team, the London Broncos rugby league team. They're the top level uh, rugby team in London, and he's been their chaplain for seven years. For the first five years, he did not have one, uh, one guy come to a Bible study or anything like that. He would help guys with gambling addictions, with uh, pastoral care, marital, marriage counseling, different problems they were having, trying to teach them how to balance their, che- we would call it a checkbook, but it balance their finances. So he was providing pastoral care and support. But just these last two years, he's seen a great gospel move take place. And every time these guys come to him in, on this team, he's able to say, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. I was able to be with him in, uh, at the last Bible study of the year, for last, for the, in the last season, in Sept- at the end of the season in September. And it was a joy. He said two guys that were there had never come before. And so these guys are hearing the gospel. They're seeing their teammates love the Lord and, and, and desire to grow in the Lord. So I'm excited to join uh, that organization. I don't know if I'll be with a rugby team. I, I, there was one chaplain that uh, Matt works with. He's a horse racing chaplain. And so he meets with the jockeys before all the races and, and tells them the gospel. And I don't know if I would fit very well in a room of jockeys necessarily. I'm about the size of two jockeys stacked together. But uh, it could be with a soccer team. Has anybody watched English soccer at all? I mean, there's some pretty big football clubs in London. They're called Chelsea and Arsenal and Tottenham. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll get to be placed with one of them. I don't think I fit in a soccer team at all either, but that's okay. I'm really excited to join the chaplaincy piece. And this is in addition to other sports ministry opportunities. We will be running baseball clinics and camps. Yes, baseball is growing. Major League Baseball was in London just two weeks ago. And so we're starting to see baseball. I'm a baseball guy and I'm looking forward to working with Matt and other team members in their sports ministry opportunities. And we have a final picture that summarizes for us kind of how we feel about London. It says that God loves London and so do we. So we're here today to invite you uh, into loving London with us. We seek to partner to be an extension of the ministry of people here to love people in London. Um, And maybe a little bit about our journey. Um, You know, Amanda said we kind of did this together, but also separate. And our invitation to you is to come with us, is to not, not just see us from afar, but to to come with us in, in the Spirit, to come with us with resources, to come with us in partnership, to see God move and do a work in London. We're so excited um, that we're able to share that with you, and we hope that you'll uh, pray and consider joining us in that. And There's a few ways that you could join us. First is prayer. That's so important. There's a link I'm going to put up on that we, we're going to put up on the screen. This is our link tree. You can use your phone as a QR code. We're going to have tea bags passed out as well with the QR code. And that link tree, that will take you to five different links. There's an opportunity to join our financial partnership team, which would be an absolute blessing. There's no way we can get there without financial resources. And so we are uh, just really hopeful that God will move and do a work. Uh, We're excited to invite people into partnership. There's also a way to keep up with us, which is our newsletter. We'd love for you to to sign up for our newsletter, see what's going on. We'll be reporting on on that regularly once we get to London. We're hoping to be there next summer. Any final closing statements? Okay. I talked too much again this time. You'll have to forgive me. So I'm going to pray for us as we get ready to open God's word together. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, just the opportunity to share. 
about what you're doing in a, in a place that used to be known for sending all the missionaries and loving you and honoring you. But in the, in the post-Christian world, God, they've gotten away. So Lord, I ask that you will do a work in London. I ask that you will do a work in our hearts to love it well. And Lord, I ask that uh, your spirit will compel us to invest in that. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps with you. Just a note about the, the link tree. Uh, if you're here with us online, and we're so glad that people are here with us online, that link is going to be in the comments, so you can click on that and look at the links that we've provided. Well, this morning, I'd like to walk through a passage with you, and I think that's the best way to read the Bible is, right, you pick something and you walk through it methodically. We're going to go through this passage together and look at what our role is in the world. What does it look like for us? As Christians, it can be hard to know where we fit in, to, where, to know where we can have an impact. When you and I watch the news, when we go on social media, or if we simply observe the world around us through different medias, Things may feel really big, they may feel really daunting. Even in our jobs, our schools, our neighborhoods, being the fullest extent of a Christian can feel difficult. Being a follower of Jesus is hard. What does it mean when Jesus prayed in John 17 to be in the world and not of the world? That's a really tough question. Because I've, I've heard that a lot growing up. Yeah, we, we need to be in the world and not of the world. But what is the practical way that we can work that out? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis, to be in the world and not of the world? Think for a moment about what it means to be an ambassador, to be an ambassador. What is it? What's their role? Where are they from? The U.S., our country, has a significant influence in the world. We could, we could all agree on that, right? We're, we've got a pretty powerful nation, and just about every country in the world has had some sort of contact with us one way or the other. This influence is due in no small part to the work of ambassadors over the last 247 years. The first ambassador from the United States was sent to France. Why? so that France would join us in the revolution against the British Empire and help us gain our freedom. That ended up being a successful trip from the ambassador. Do anybody remember who that was? Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin was the ambassador to France during the Revolutionary War. And it was his work as an ambassador that ended up becoming the, the end of the Revolutionary War. But the ambassadors, what do they do? They carry out the wishes of the administration that sent them. And they seek to persuade their target audience to their home country's wishes. This is, I'm sure, easy for us to understand. The the American ambassador to the United Kingdom, and I picked that one because of where we're going, right? So there's a little more connection there. Her name's Jane Hartley. I just looked this up two days ago. Jane Hartley is in London. Why? Why? only on the behalf of being an American. She's in London, but she's not of London. She's in the UK, but she's of the United States. She was commissioned for that role so that she could be an influence for the wishes of her boss, the president. 
She may be in the UK, but she is there on behalf of the US. We can understand this concept, can't we? She may wake up in London every single day. I looked up her her history. I don't think she's been back to the United States in 15 years. She's been ambassadors to all sorts of different places. She may wake up in a different place, but she is an American. As we consider the thought, let's think of ourselves as ambassadors, as people that wake up in the world around us, but we are not of this world. We are of God's kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. But we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Let's look at that first sentence again. Our fearful responsibility. Fearful. It's not fear in the sense of trembling or panic or uh, being scared out of, your, out of your mind, out of your wits. It's the fear in the sense of reverence and awe. So I have a reverent, a solemn, a serious responsibility because we understand. This is the Apostle Paul talking about, hey, me and my buddies Titus and a couple other guys, we understand that we have a serious job. Who is our serious job? Who is our responsibility to? It's to the Lord. It's to the administration that sent, sent me. He's going to reveal that further down the road. We now have a serious role. We've been tasked with, with an important job. What is this job? He says, we work hard to persuade others. We work hard to persuade others. The we is Paul and his companions. But also, it is the beginning of an invitation to the audience, to whom he's writing. He's writing to this church in a city called Corinth. Corinth was a city much like the cities of today. Multicultural, multi-ethnic, polyreligious, right? People would have religions from all over the world, usually had to do with their ethnicity or where they grew up. And so Paul was writing to a church of of Christians who were in a world that was not Christian, not post-Christian, but pre-Christian. Corinth was a city that was built for the purposes of the Greek god's worship. So, what is the invitation? The invitation to the church of Corinth. He highlights the invitation by noting that he wishes that they knew how sincere Paul and his companions were. Sincerity matters. Has anybody ever had kids before? Have you ever told a kid what to do? Have you ever gotten an insincere, okay, fine, thanks, sure, I guess so? Ever heard those words come out of their mouths? I have four children. I hear it far too often. Sincerity in obedience matters. The heart. Paul wants them to know that he is sincere. He wants them to be sincere in how they persuade others because your sincerity affects your persuasion. Your ability to convince someone has so much to do with your attitude in that convincing. Some of the smartest uh, people in the world with some of the most brilliant arguments in their field, they may fall flat just because of their insincerity, their, their lack of delivery. It's important. Paul wants them to be sincere. He sought to remove intellectual barriers, to overcome prejudice and ignorance. To con- he was trying to convince 
them by argument and testimony and by the straightforward proclamation of the gospel. This is what he wanted. He wanted them to be persuasive in a, in a place that was hard to be persuasive in Corinth. I want to look at this passage through the lens of three questions. This is only the first verse. We're going to go all the way down to verse 21. The questions are this. When we read the Bible, we should ask three questions every time we read the Bible. That first question is what? What is being said? What is God trying to communicate? What does the author want me to know? The second question is so what? Or why does it matter? What's the big deal? So what? That's so, we must ask that question when we read God's word. So what? Okay, I, 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 I get the what, the so what matters. But then if we don't end with now what, we've lost the whole point, which is to take it and do something with it. So what? So what? And now what? We're going to ask those questions this morning. What is our fearful responsibility? This is what I had highlighted in verse 11. What is our fearful responsibility? Remember, this is, this is the role, the job, the responsibility that is serious and is placed on us. We're fearful with it because we recognize how precious it is. What is that responsibility? Let's go down to verse 14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Another way to say, as it says in verse 14, that Christ's love controls us is that it compels us. It means something bubbles up inside of me so much that I can't but do this. So if it's Christ's love that controls, Christ's love that compels, it means if, if I'm in Jesus, I can't but help to act and be and live and love like Jesus. That's what it means. So our fearful responsibility. Another way to say that is the compelling, right? It's rooted in love, this, com- this compelling, this controlling of Christ. It's rooted in the love that God showed us when Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and rose again so that we could be saved from the penalty of our sin. So what is our fearful responsibility? It's to let God's love change the way we live and see the world. It's Christ's love controls us. Christ's love compels us. It gives us newness of life, as we'll read further down. Verse 13, we're kind of going backwards a little bit to help explain that. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. I've always thought that this was a great verse for parents. You may think I'm holding you back. You may think I'm telling you no far too often. I may seem crazy, but it's because I want to honor God in your life and I want, to be, I want it to be for your benefit. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Nothing about being a follower of Jesus should, should call into question the world around us. Uh, should call into question our behavior to the world around us, is what I meant to say. People will notice. They will see the change. Hopefully, what makes us look crazy, right? If, if it seems that we're crazy, what will make us look crazy to the world around us is our radical generosity. The love that we show for one another and for the people around us. That's what should make us look crazy because in the world around us, that is crazy. 
When we live for ourselves, we're living for ourselves. We're not living for radical generosity. We're not living for someone else. We're not living for love. We're living for pleasure. We're living for what makes me happy. When we don't live that way, it yes, it will seem crazy to the world around us. So, we talk about how it, God's love needs to change the way we live and see the world. So what about God's love? What is it? What's, about, what's up with this grace that changes us? Verse 16. I love this first part of verse 16 right here. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Are we not all guilty of this? I know I am. So we have stopped evaluating others. When I have a conflict, when I have a conversation, when I have a hard time with someone, I'm, it's almost always me evaluating them from a, from a human point of view. And what's that human point of view? How can they make my life better? How can they make me happy? How can they please me? That's the human point of view. And we even treated Jesus this way, as he says right here. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. See, Jesus in the world around us is, oh, he was a great teacher. He was a great moral example. He's somebody we should listen to, unless I'm not comfortable with what I, or with what I hear. See, that's a human point of view. It's, it's about me and it's about what I accept from God. When really, when we don't see Christ from a human point of view, it says how differently we know him now. When Jesus proclaimed in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's how we see him. And that's how we see others, that everyone should be seen in God's eyes. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Nobody knew this better than Paul, who's writing these words, or he's speaking these words to his scribe. Here in verse 17, when he talks about becoming a new person, he, I, I have to imagine he's thinking about his own experience, where he's on a road. He's living a life for years of persecuting Christians, having them sent to jail or having them killed. In one moment, he has a radical encounter with Jesus. And his life does a full 180, completely changes. And now his old life is gone. He still has scars from it, I'm sure. He still has things he has to work through. But his new life has begun. What is this new life? It's the new life in the love of Christ. We see pretty clearly that when we confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, it is a radical encounter. When you talk about old becoming new, when you talk about this is completely gone and now I'm in something different, that is a radical encounter. Have you ever encountered someone you hadn't seen in years, but the next time you saw them, they were completely changed? Perhaps it was with a person that with a physical transformation. And you can see it. You walk up and you're like, I haven't seen you in years. You look amazing. Your, your, glow, your skin is fantastic. You, just, you look so healthy and strong, and I love it. I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Perhaps it was a person who had a spiritual transformation. Somebody that was always angry, or always looking out for themselves, or always focusing on number one. And then they had a radical encounter with God, 
and their life is completely changed. The way that they treat people, the way that they talk to people, the way that they even carry themselves, it's no longer about them, it's about God. You ever, had, you ever met someone? I'm a youth and college pastor, and I get so much joy when I see the radical transformation happen when it comes to maturity and self-control. And, I, and I, I send away high school seniors off to college. And they come back after a year, and I'm like, did they get it yet? And they think they know everything when they left, right? Have you ever had a senior in high school? They think they know everything? They're 17, 18 years old. Oh, yeah, I got the world figured out. And they come back from freshman year. They took one semester of psychology. Wow, they really know everything. They figured the whole world out. When does the real transformation happen? After the second year, they come home, and they're a completely different person because the world became the right size. The world got big. And they recognize, I don't have this figured out at all. I'm going to be... I'm going to be out of school in two years. I don't have a job lined up. I don't know what I'm going to do. And the world, they see it with clear eyes. But you see also the other maturity that comes with that. They carry themselves different. They treat you with kindness. They look you in the eye when they, sh- when you- they shake your hand. I love seeing that transformation, when them really taking that mantle of adulthood and leaving the old life of childhood behind. I love seeing that transformation. But that's what meeting, knowing, and and following Jesus is like. It's a radical encounter. It's a transformation. It's a, I'm not who I used to be. So what about God's love changes us? When When we radically change who we are, it means that we see others the way God sees them. How does God see them? With compassion. With love with a desire for them to be reconciled and cared for. The compassion that God showed us is what we ought to cycle back into the lives of others. You know, God pours into our cup and we pour out our cup. And we ask God to pour back in and we pour back out into the lives of others. It's grace upon grace upon grace. We're asking God, please, Lord, pour into me so that, and we're going to read so that, so that I can pour into others. When we belong to him, we can't but help to invite others into the joy of knowing our eternal destiny is secure and that we don't have to live for ourselves or chase pleasures anymore. We were meant for more than simple pleasures here on earth. We were meant for Jesus himself to be reconciled with him. So we've asked the what, we've asked the so what, let's ask the now what. Now what do we do and how do we live? We know what our fearful responsibility is, which is what? It's to see others the way God sees them. It's, it's to view others. It's to change, be, allow Christ's love to change who we are on the inside and work it out. Verses 18 through 21. And all of this is a gift from God. And I'm so glad it's a gift from God because my salvation is not dependent on me. Because I am a failure. I mess up all the time. But I'm so glad I'm not the one that has to save himself. It's God who saves me. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. What, what does he mean by reconciling? See, God has pulled others. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. When I think of the word reconcile, I think of this open-armed pulling you in. That's, what I, that's how I see God. He's, he's saying he's reaching out, taking hold, and 
pulling us back to himself. It's not that we're running in. It's that he's got open arms and he's, he's, he's tucking us into himself. For God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that good news? If God counted every sin against me without, without Christ, I would have no right to be breathing. But God is good. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So this, when we, when we answer the question, what do we do? We're, ask, we're saying, this is who we are now. What is the message of reconciliation? Verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. When you look at the Merriam-Webster's thesaurus, one of the first synonyms that comes up for ambassador is missionary. In the, in the official Merriam-Webster thesaurus. What does it mean to be an ambassador? Remember we talked about the ambassador is there to carry out the mission of the administration that sent them. Our ambassador to whatever name that country is there for the interests of our country, not for the interests of the country they're going to. Now, if they can make it mutually beneficial, that would be great. But the ambassador is there for who's been sent. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We've been sent by Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We are the vehicle by which God reveals his story, by which God invites others into a reconciled relationship. Because what does sin do? It breaks relationship. It takes us away from knowing and being with God. And so we are reconcilers. We say, hey, and and I love what this says, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's our message. That's our mission. We are coming out of the embassy here, out into the world that we've been sent into as ambassadors, as missionaries, saying, come back to God. Come back to Him. You belong with Him. He's he's pulling you into Himself. Just accept the free gift of salvation that's been offered to you. When we accept that, we then become ambassadors, inviting others into accept that. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So verse 21 is the reasoning for the last few verses. He's like, Jesus came and died, was sent by God so that we could be made right. Because we've now accepted Christ, because we've been made right, God is inviting us to invite others. He's saying, be ambassadors, send it out. Be missionaries in Smithsburg, in Waynesboro, in Hagerstown, in Frederick, in Martinsburg, Harper's Ferry, Boonesboro. I can't name all the towns. There's too many of them that everybody lives in. But London, be ambassadors for the gospel. I live in Aldi, Virginia. I'm called to be an ambassador to Aldi, Virginia right now. Go to church in Chantilly. I'm called to be an ambassador in Chantilly, Virginia right now. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So what is our, now what do we do and how do we live? We live as ambassadors and do the work of reconciling others to God. This is our calling as the followers of Jesus. So this morning, I want to I call you into that. I want to call you into the reconciling work. Saying, inviting others into knowing the joy of what it means to be in Jesus.
There's no greater opportunity, there's no greater joy than knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. If you don't know or follow Jesus, my offer to you this morning is to take that step, is to know him, to reconcile to a God who loves you so much that he sent his very son to die for you. And if you have accepted that, praise God. Now go out and be ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for the opportunity to open the word together. I pray that you will lift up and encourage the hearts of Smithsburg Valley Church. We give thanks for their light that they've shined into the community. Lord, I pray that as we go home, we will go home ready to be ambassadors, ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us, ready to be in the world, but not necessarily of it. Lord, may we look like you. May we talk with your name on our lips, with your name written on our hearts. Thank you for the chance to share what you're doing. Thank you for the chance, God, to be with your people. Pray, Lord, that you'll bless us, bless this time that you receive this hour as an offering. May it be sweet worship. We honor you, God, with our time, our talents, and our treasures. In Jesus' name.